This sermon, Shepherds in the Field, was preached by Tim Lambros on Sunday, December 10th, 2023, at Sovereign Grace Church in Tucson. Good morning. My name is Tim Lambros. I'm a, one of the pastors here. I get to serve alongside Derek Overstreet, our senior pastor, and Tom Wilkins. If you have a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. You've probably been in this Christmas story before. For our regulars, we are preaching through the book of Judges, and today we begin a three-week series what we're calling an Advent series, the title, The Unexpected at Advent. Advent means arrival, and typically Christians take anywhere from three to five weeks to celebrate and to remember afresh the events of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, Christ becoming a human being. And I think this sentence I read this week kind of captures our approach. Advent is a time to reflect on the unexpected nature of Jesus's humble birth. Jesus is always the central figure in the story of the incarnation and the Son of God. But looking at the unexpected events and the people that God used can help us guard against kind of being drawn into the busyness and just mindlessly going through the holidays and getting caught up in the materialism and the secularization of Christmas. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2 out of the uh, ESV version, verses 1 through 20. And around here we stand when we read God's word. So let me ask you to stand as I read Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse one. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registra- registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the household and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8, and in that same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts 
praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured these things up in her heart. Let me say it again. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Please take your seats as I pray. Lord, we thank you for this season. We thank you that so many will draw attention to these historical events. But for us today, we ask that you would open up minds and hearts. Lord, let not the imperfections of the speaker get in the way of what you want to do. Would you bless the preaching of your word this morning? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you have participated in a gender reveal party? So when Kathy and I had our kids, we never heard of that. The next generation started the gender reveal parties. I saw some of these on Facebook. They're pretty elaborate. They're pretty celebrative. I actually, for a long time, thought these are way over the top, somewhat ridiculous, and had the same generational prejudice that we all do with the prior generation. Just get that out there. Now I love them. Because what the culture's attack on the gender, the biblical truth of male and female, the fact that they're celebrating a boy or... I love it. I love it. So if you're asking what a gender reveal party has to do with this message, the answer is nothing. (laughs) Because the theme of our series is the unexpected... And when a preacher has an opening illustration that has nothing to do with the message, that's kind of unexpected. So hopefully the point is there. Yeah, hopefully it's unexpected. But what makes what we're going to look at so stunning is all these unexpected people and events that occur. So today we're going to draw our attention on these first recipients of really what is a birth announcement. That, that's truly the framework for this passage. This is a, an amazing birth announcement. So we're, we're parachuting into chapter 2 here. We're going to concentrate on verses 8 through 20. But in these first seven verses, the baby Jesus is born. And in, in, in typical of biblical writers, they just state the fact that she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. But before this... There's a lot of activity going on. I mean, if, if you were doing a promotion, you'd be saying, angelic visits are on the increase. Be aware. Have you had one? I haven't had one. I heard he had one. God comes to Joseph, sends a messenger, and directs his way. Yes, you will marry her. 
in Luke chapter 1, an angel visits Zechariah and says, you're going to be the father. Your wife is barren. You're going to be the father, and you will name his son John. He's going to be the father of John the Baptist. The, Mary, uh, the, the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to become pregnant, but not by your husband. That had to be a wild one. Mary, probably a middle teenager, I think asked a great question. Um, how is this going to happen? Because I'm a virgin. So there's angelic visits. And before that, if you take time to study all that leads up to this, much is going on. Paul summarizes this in Galatians chapter 4 when he says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. ESV Study Bible has this great quote. God sent his son at the right moment in human history when God's providential oversight of the events of the world had directed and prepared peoples and nations for the incarnation and ministry of Christ for the proclamation of the gospel. God is providentially working up until this time where we take a look at the shepherds, directing peoples and nations for the incarnation. God, the Holy One, incarnating himself as a human being for ultimately the proclamation of the gospel. This didn't just start to happen. We're studying the book of Judges. We're familiar already with the cycle of God raising up a leader and he ultimately leads the people into evil. And then they fail and they, the cycle starts all over again. Ultimately, God would raise up David. Guess what his vocation was? A shepherd boy. He becomes King David, the greatest leader Israel ever had. God fulfilled his promise of a people and a place and a leader. But David falls. Israel fails. They get kicked out of the promised land. It's never the same. And up until these chapters, nobody has heard anything from God for three to 400 years. And now we're at verse 8 with yet another unexpected event. And Luke says, And in the same region where Jesus was born, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. In one of God's providential movements of peoples and nations, Caesar Augustus dictates this census. And it's not like our census. Because all Israel is seriously inconvenienced. Whether you're nine months pregnant or not, you have got to go to these hometowns and get registered. Israel, once again, is reminded of this Roman rule and oppression that they do not like. And so Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem. And yet Augustus and the local governor, Quirinius, they have no idea. They are unsuspecting tools in God's hand because in that movement, yet another prophecy is made because Micah 5, 2, 700 years in advance said 
that the one who would rule Israel, the one that would be greater than David, would come out of Bethlehem. God directing people and nations. And so while they're born outside of Bethlehem, and in case you don't know, these towns back then, Bethlehem might have been the size of a football field. And these shepherds are out. They're not even named. They're just unnamed shepherds out into the field. And then verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled filled with great fear. Well, we can be quite confident these shepherds were not expecting this. You could be quite confident that they expected just another night of the mundane, the obscure. Does anyone even know that we exist? But this adds to the amazing irony of how God does things. But a little bit about shepherds because we can import our rendition of what we think about shepherds and we want to be careful with that. But shepherds lived in the fields. Jewish shepherds could not keep the ceremonial law, so they were regularly seen as unclean and could not participate in the worship and the rituals of their people. They were regarded as liars and thieves, could not be trusted. Their testimony could not be submitted in a court of law. Shepherds didn't enjoy a very good reputation in their day. Philip Ryken writes, Shepherds were despised. With the exception of lepers, they were the lowest class of men in Israel. And these are the people that the angel goes to. At least we have a name, Zechariah, Joseph, Mary. These are unnamed shepherds despised in their culture. And God sends this amazing birth announcement to these men. I can't wait to meet them in heaven. I mean, and along with this birth announcement, they're dirty, they're unclean, no one really respects their work. The glory of God shines. The glory of God shines. Well, naturally, they react with fear. Look at what we see next. And the glory of God, and they were filled with great fear. Don't you see in the scriptures, every time a divine being or God shows up, the immediate reaction of man is fear. When a sinful human being encounters a divine, holy, and pure being, fear immediately comes upon them. So we have to absorb this irony just to slow down things. And say, why would God, with this most important birth announcement, go to these people and not even name them in Scripture? I hope to answer that question before we leave today. And then there's the content of this announcement. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
I've heard Bible teachers do this to the point of irritation, but I'm going to do it here. Uh, do you want news? Or would you rather have good news? I'll take the good news. Do you want joy? Or would you rather have great joy? There's reasons for each adjective in Scripture. And no wonder the angel's saying, don't fear I'm going to bring you really good news. You'll see here in just a sec. It's good news, and it's going to bring great joy. And he goes on to say, not just for some people, not just for the learned Jewish rabbis, not just for the important people in secular government, for all people. Good news of great joy for all the people. And then verse 11 is where he unpacks it a little bit, if you're tracking along with me. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you in the city of David, which they all knew was Bethlehem, is born a Savior, Christ the Lord, the Messiah has been born. The long-awaited Messiah has been born. And if that's not enough, God's going to direct them to a sign. God is going to direct them to a sign, a physical confirmation of this good news. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was directing the universe and I was going to bring this announcement, I'd probably do it at a state of the union in American politics. You got the president, you got both houses of Congress, you've got the judge. If, if I'm going to make an announcement of this magnitude, I'm probably going to something like that. Or maybe a G20 economic summit where all the worldwide leaders are gathered. No, no, that's not how God does it. These lowly shepherds. And the angel directs them to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Well, first, he wants these shepherds to know Christ is not going to look very royal when you come and find the baby. And secondly, you're going to find him in a most unexpected location, a manger. And this is where we can... Guard against romanticizing and sanitizing the Christmas story. I was at the Bridge Prison Fellowship Angel Tree event yesterday. Pete, Sandy, outstanding job. Uh, just bringing the community together. Uh, being the quiet, introverted guy that doesn't get out much. I saw two friends I hadn't seen in years there as different communities and just an outside. But I took a picture of a manger scene there. I think we have it. And I, I just, I, I, I've paused over the last couple of weeks and like, doesn't that just look beautiful? But that's nothing like where Jesus was born. <laughs> nothing. L listen, Christ laid in a feeding trough. When I, when I, when I look at that, there's no stink of animals. There's no stink of dung. I didn't see any flies. We were, they were serving food yesterday. But there's no flies there. Christ was born 
in utter poverty, in a barn. The scripture doesn't tell us how they found this child, but there was nothing to point that this was an amazing birth. There was nothing that would tell someone this is the Son of God. He was born and was laid in a feeding trough for animals. That helps me guard against mindlessly walking through the holidays. Jesus, the Son of God, left the glories of heaven and was born of a woman and laid in a feeding trough in a stinking barn. You might ask the question, who would ever write a story like that? Who would ever create a movie with this story? What fiction writer would ever dream of this narrative? Only God writes this story. Look at verses 13 and 14. We're just working our way through the passage here. Back to that scene. And suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In two weeks, we're going to look at the unexpected guest from the angel's perspective. Same passage, not focus on the shepherds, focus on the angels. But I, but I want you to hear this. This announcement wasn't just for one angel. There was a crowd. We have no idea how big this was, but these guys got to see a glimpse into heaven. And I don't know if you know this, but I was observing the Ohio State-Michigan football game a couple weeks ago, and I found out that, I think they were talking about the Michigan locker room. There is a countdown clock at the beginning of the year to the time of day that they play Ohio State. Not to the playoffs, not to the league championships, when they play Ohio State. Now, I have no idea if heaven had a countdown clock like this. I have no idea. Maybe these angels were absolutely unexpectedly chosen to do it. We have no idea. Scripture doesn't tell us. But for some reason, God decided to bring this kind of activity to this announcement. And then in verse 15, we see the rest of this. When the angels went away from them into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, I don't know if Luke meant to be humorous, but I think this is hilarious. After what the shepherds just saw, certainly asking the question, who am I? Who am I to be part of this birth announcement in a divine way, they look at each other and say, let's go see this thing. They don't even have words for it. Let's go see this thing that we just heard. I, I just find humor in that. So they're directed to see it. And, and, I, and I love this piece in here, verse 16. And they went with haste. I guess that's a biblical way of saying they are sprinting. They are sprinting. They went with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known 
they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So guess what we have here? We have our first evangelistic team. They just had a divine encounter with God. They might have even left their flocks and just said, we're moving. Like the person that found the treasure in the field and went back and sold everything to buy that field. They are transformed people. And guess what's coming out of their mouth? All that they have seen and heard. This might be the first evangelistic team in Scripture. They probably don't get it all. Christ hasn't even died yet. But they are clearly transformed. And speaking of God's activity, the good news that the angels talked about is the euangel, the evangel, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not bashful. They're not thinking about their status. I'm sure when they bolted into that barn, certain Higher society people, probably, what are you doing here? You're not even clean. I'm sure all that was going on. They are going to follow through what they were instructed. And they are saying all that had been told them. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I'm sure part of that wondering was, who are these guys? They're dirty, stinky shepherds telling us they had this divine vision. I'm sure some of that was going on. Verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary might not have heard anything from the Lord for nine months, and this brought wonderful, confirming events into her life. As she's trying to... Mary is a sinner who needs grace, Mary will eventually become part of Jesus' flock. But at this point, this has to be mind-blowing for a young teenage woman in this culture. And then I love this last sentence here. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They very doubtfully went back and was like, wasn't last night a blast? Okay, let's get to work. I mean, their lives are transformed. I doubt they looked at their sin and weaknesses the same way. I doubt they did their vocation in the same way. These guys appear to be transformed. They are praising God glorifying God for all they had heard and seen. Well, let's talk about a couple of implications of this story. A couple of takeaways, you might call them. First, an unexpected event creates a monumental turning point. A monumental turning point in God's redemptive plan of history. You see, church, to truly grasp the meaning of Christmas, one must be in awe of God working out his redemptive plan. Each time we look at a manger scene, it really should move us to awe. Biblically understood, Appropriating Christmas with a good biblical mindset, it should move us to awe 
and then humility. Awe is to look upon that, all these manger scenes that decorate our homes in the public places and be amazed at God's work. He doesn't write the script like fiction authors do. He's the God of the universe. And this passage, these events of Luke chapter 1 and 2 are a monumental turning point in redemptive history. And its natural effect should be to humble us. Let me explain. First of all, Israel has no idea that this is coming on these days. There's a hope for a Messiah, but their hope was pretty shallow. Can you just get rid of the Romans? Like a lot of us, can you just take care of my biggest problem right now? No, no, God's plans go much deeper. So his plan comes, and it's radically unexpected. Obviously, the angels couldn't even contain themselves. J.I. Packer writes this, It is here, it is here, in the thing that happened at the first Christmas that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The word became flesh, John chapter 1 says. And he finishes this paragraph with this. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. At the incarnation, the greatest depth of the revelation of God begins to occur. You see, God reveals himself in creation. Romans tells us, you are without excuse just looking at creation. You know in some sense there is a God. God revealed himself in the Old Testament scriptures. But this incarnated little baby makes those seem like whispers and God is shouting now, this is my beloved son. Here's how the author of Romans tries to grasp that. Chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. God shouts, this is the exact print. This is the radiance of the very nature and character of God. God is a speaking God. And this is the problem with getting too comfortable and familiar with Christmas. You see, this is a worldwide holiday because as long as there's that little baby that can't talk in the manger, I don't have to address that I'm a sinner. A mute baby is easy to celebrate. But we know God is the speaking God. And we know in 30-some years, this perfect little baby born of a woman, the God-man, the Christ-man, will die an ugly and horrific death because we are sinners and we need a Savior. 
So God is shouting. That's why this is such a monumental turning event in redemptive history. So to truly grasp Christmas, we must at some level grasp what a profound and monumental moment this truly is the birth of the Son, the incarnation of God as a man. So a simple question to think about. What do you see when you look at a manger? What do you see when you look at and look into the manger scene? This is God's redemptive turning point in history. That's how we can guard against the secularization, the material, the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season and draw and be affected awe and humility with the true meaning of Christmas. So God's unexpected event, unexpected guest to get this birth announcement truly is a monumental, monumental turning point in redemptive history. Secondly, another takeaway, an unexpected audience for profoundly good news. Let's ask that question. Why did God appear to unnamed, lowly shepherds. Randy Alcorn has a little devotion on this. He talks about they're here, this monumental event in Luke chapter 2. They're kind of ushered off to sta the stage of redemptive history. You never hear from them again. Why, why would God bring the most important of announcements to these lowly shepherds? I think our answer, at least a hint of the answer, is in verse 11. Look there again. For unto you. You ever got a birth announcement? Said we had this baby for you? No. But all I know about birth announcement is, man, I better get the height, the weight, the, the date, the time, and how mom's doing, or I'm going to get, you know, rebuked. Birth announcements are about we had a baby. This announcement, God says, for unto you. Unto you, lowly shepherds, despised, dirty, stinky, socially unacceptable, unclean. That represents you and you and you and you and you and me. I celebrate my born-again anniversary this Friday. 43 years ago, this truth. For unto you, Tim, Christ is born. Christ will die because you need a Savior. You and I are in this group. You and I are represented in God's ways and God's means of going to the least of the least in this culture. That should have an effect on us as we celebrate Christmas. It's good news for unto you. For unto you. There's no need to fear for unto you. 
You can rejoice because you don't have to attempt to live a good life and earn your way to heaven. No, this is good news. The greatest news ever. You don't try to earn merit before God and hope you have a good scorecard at he- by the time you die. No, no. We put our trust in someone else's work. Jesus Christ, who came to live that perfect life and to be our atoning sacrifice. That is good news. For unto you. And then what does he say? Is born this day in the city of David a Savior. For unto you is born a Savior. Why is the Savior born? We need to be saved. We are unable to do what needs to be done. He is our Savior. The sanitized manger scenes, let them stir in us a reality and a reminder every Christmas deep in our hearts that to truly understand Christmas, there's this humility and there should be a little bit of a disturbance when you face the reality that you need a Savior. You needed Christ the Messiah to come. You can't solve your dilemma before God. You see, Christ didn't come to solve their political woes. Even the disciples spending three years with him kept thinking, oh, man, when he gets rid of Rome, I'm going to be sitting at the right, I'm going to be the man. I'm going to be in his cabinet. He didn't come to save us from political woes. He didn't come to pad your bank account and get rid of your financial woes. No, no, no. Your need, your, your trouble is much deeper. No matter how technologically advanced, no, no, no matter how sophisticated our societies get, we commit the same moral problems over and over again. Your need of a savior, when you look at that manger, goes way deeper than any political, social, relational, family problems. You need what the angels say, and we'll look at closer in two weeks, peace with God. Peace with your creator. God is saving us from our deepest problem that we have. That we are separated from God from birth because of the impartation of what we get from Adam and we add to it with our own sins all our lives And we cannot pay that debt. Only a Savior can save us. The third important phrase here, after he says, to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The utterly helpless baby is Christ the Messiah, the promised and hoped for Messiah. He is Christ the Lord, all caps in our English Bibles. He is fully God, but fully submitted to this plan to live a life like a human, setting aside his equality with God, Philippians 2 tells us, to be that perfect atoning sacrifice and die 30 some years later. 
We need a Messiah. And this one came. And our hope is that he can save a ruined humanity. There is real hope of pardon and with peace when you look at these early events of the gospel story. Jesus was the poorest of poorest. Might have had the worst conditions of any other babies born in that Bethlehem area. He became poor in a dirty stable so that 30 years later he could hang on a cross as a perfect atoning sacrifice, saving us, satisfying God's wrath that we would have peace and pardon with the Creator and the Holy One, God. So the other question I think to ask yourself is this. In what ways, again, guarding against this drift into just walking through the holidays, guarding against being consumed with materialism and gifts, in what ways does the incarnation of Jesus Christ help you see your need for a Savior? In what ways does this, does this story of Jesus' birth coming as Christ the Lord, coming as a Savior, eventually going to die, preach to you that you need a Savior? Or simply, does this preach the gospel to you? If that's the effect of Christmas each year, and you go deeper in your understanding of God's ways and how he came about to say, that's grasping the real meaning of Christmas. Let me invite the worship team up. That is worth celebrating. And let's close in song.